going to first of all read from Psalm 19. And yes, it's on page 541 in this Bible, from the foyer. Psalm 19, and I'm going to start reading from verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Our second reading is from Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. And it's in our Bibles from the foyer on page 961. So Matthew 7, we're starting at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will say them, tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed by his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So ends the reading. Well, Mrs Green lived in a two-storey house together with an elderly widow. And after not hearing from uh, this lady for a few days, she got a bit nervous, so she called little Johnny, her son, over, and she said, Johnny, do me a favour and go and find out how old Mrs Robinson is. So six-year-old Johnny went downstairs and knocked on Mrs Robinson's door. He came back up a few minutes later. So, how is she? asked Mrs Green. How is she? replied replied little Johnny. I have never seen her so mad in all my life. And she said, it's none of your business how old she is. Misunderstandings can have a variety of consequences. Some of them humorous, such as that from little Johnny. Thanks for laughing. People at eight o'clock didn't. Um... (laughs) Sometimes consequences can be tragic. It would be a grave misunderstanding of the Sermon on the Mount to respond to it all by saying, I've heard Jesus say all these things and I think I might try a little bit harder in this area of life. Or, or perhaps if we all work together just that little bit more, we can, we can see some progress in humanity or as a church, as a society. That would be a grave misunderstanding because discipleship, which Jesus requires, is radical. It's radical. In fact, our response to Jesus is synonymous with whether or not we enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that means there is nothing more crucial in life than following Jesus. We either walk the road that leads to life or we walk the road that leads to death. There are, dare I say, two ways to live. There's no third alternative. One ends in life, good fruit, entrance into the kingdom of heaven and stability. The other ends in destruction, bad fruit, fire, and exclusion from the kingdom of heaven. These are weighty matters, aren't they? And what a great blessing it is that Jesus brings them to our attention and puts them so starkly. We're in Matthew chapter 7. Hopefully you've still got it open in front of you. Let's hear again Jesus' words about two ways to live. We're in chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus says... Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There there are two roads, and it seems like an easy choice. One leads to life and the other leads to destruction, and the problem is, is that most people don't look at the destination to decide which road they go on, they look at the road itself. Which road is easier to travel? Which has the widest gate that's easiest to get through? Which road are most people on? I want to be with them. Which road allows me to do what I like? The broad way is the easy way. 
It's the way of diversity and permissiveness, of false religion, of selfishness and hypocrisy. It's without rules or boundaries. No effort is required to remain on the broad road. You can do what you like. But the narrow road is hard. It has clearly marked boundaries. It's the road marked by self-sacrifice, by obedience to the Lord Jesus and is countercultural by comparison. The narrow road's not as popular as the broad road and so we have a choice. Will we seek God's approval by trusting in Jesus and walking the narrow road or will we seek the approval of men by walking the broad road? Now this decision that we make at this point has eternal significance. The broad road leads to destruction, to death, to eternity in hell. And it is a tragedy that so many people make that choice now to walk down the easy path. And in fact, for many people, if you dare to warn them that they're on the road to destruction, they'll deny it and argue that they're better off than you are walking the narrow road. But in contrast, the narrow road leads us through the narrow gate to eternal life where we will see and share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, where we will understand sins forgiven and we will experience transformation into the likeness of our Lord and Saviour. Now, of course, it's logical to choose a road based on its destination rather than how good the road looks. Whenever I have to travel, of course I choose the road that will lead me to my destination. And so, for example, if I want to go to Penrith, I don't cross the river and then head off down through Richmond and on to Windsor and then down the Hawkesbury Valley Way. I quite like the Hawkesbury Valley Way. It's a, it's a newish road. It's not very bumpy. It's, it's well made. It's, it's safe. It's cruisy. It's a lovely bit of road for that kilometre or two. But it won't take me to Penrith. If I want to go to Penrith, instead I go across the river, I turn right and I go down Castlereagh Road to the destination. Now note too, there are only two ways. There's no third alternative. It's, it's not like driving from here to, to North Richmond where you can go Graceville Road or you can go Red Bank Road or you can go Bell's Line of Road. The app on your phone won't reroute you if you're going in the wrong direction in this instance. The only way into the kingdom of heaven, the only way into eternal life is to be saved by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to come under his headship in the kingdom. It's to adopt the ways and the values and the morals of his kingdom. The things that Jesus has been teaching us through the sermon. So according to Jesus, there are, there are two ways. There's the hard way, there's the easy way. But there's nothing in the middle. You enter through two gates. There's the broad gate or the narrow gate. There's no other gate. It's being travelled by two crowds. There's the, the large crowd and the small crowd. But there's no third group. And it ends in two destinations. There's destruction and life. There's no third alternative. 
the choice is stark. Will we follow Jesus or someone else? And as Jesus goes on to warn us, then we need to be careful who we will listen to. Check out verse 15. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. Now, the problem of false prophets has always been a problem for Israel, as it continues to be a problem for us in our generation and will continue to be for all future generations. False prophets claim to speak on behalf of God. But since they are wolves in sheep's clothing, they can be difficult to identify. Because many false teachers will mix in saying things about Jesus with their message. But they also mix in a whole heap of other things. For example, they might speak about a new path to spiritual fulfilment or a special technique that they've developed that if you do that... You can be a more fulfilled Christian. Or sometimes they might come up with special teaching about end times or they demand that you read special literature or teachings that you, that you need to follow. Or they, they create an extra set of rules that you have to obey or a special experience that you must have or special gifts that you need to have. They may say you must have to belong to their group. These people are wolves in sheep's clothing. If they're not teaching the narrow way that Jesus teaches, don't listen to what they say. But what do you do if their message isn't so significantly different that you can discern the difference? How, how, do, how then do we identify false prophets? Jesus says, by their fruit. The fruit that Jesus looks for is righteousness, humility, purity, Trusting and persistent prayerfulness, obedience to Jesus' words, truthfulness, love, generosity, the rejection of all that is hypocritical. Now, false prophets may appear genuine, but their nature cannot be hidden forever. Sooner or later, they will be seen for what they are, and the falseness of their teaching will be exposed by their disobedience. By their fruit, you will recognise them. And eventually, judgment day will reveal that they are unknown to the Lord. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
Now, at the time Jesus was speaking, the the recognised teachers of Israel, such as the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and and the Sadducees and the high priests, they fell into this category. Even though they were in official positions and even though they were accurately teaching traditions that Israel had inherited from the past, this verdict on the last day is frighteningly sobering, isn't it? In fact, I think these words... I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers, are some of the scariest words in the Bible. Why are they shut out of the kingdom? Because they never knew Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that there was some extra thing that these people didn't do. He's not saying there was some sort of secret trick to entering the kingdom of heaven that they didn't figure out. What he's saying is he never knew them and they never knew him. They'd been misled at the most basic level. They thought that being part of the kingdom was about what you did. But it's not. Entry into the kingdom of heaven is about knowing Jesus and trusting in him. What's the essential characteristic of a disciple of Jesus? It's obedience. Obedience to his word. Now, of course, no one enters the kingdom because of obedience. That would be salvation by works. But it's equally true that no one enters the kingdom who is not obedient. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ but it's equally true that God's grace inevitably results in our obedience. So how then should we live as disciples in the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus tells us, have a look at verse 24. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Here he declares himself to be the law giver. The one who declares to us the mind of God. And this means that obedience to God is no longer simply to study the Old Testament law. It is to hear and obey the words of Jesus. So again, the choice is clear. Using the parable of the two builders, Jesus shows Israel the choice that is now before them and is indeed before all of us today. Hearing Jesus' words and doing them is like wisely building a house on solid rock. I'll go walking through the, the new housing estates at North Richmond and uh, the new bit that's opened up at the end, end of Arthur Phillip Drive near where the Pex Road Park is There's a lot of work going on there at the moment and gradually, day by day, new concrete slabs are being laid for each new house. They're building on solid rock. 
They're actually putting the slab down. They're not just building on the dirt that was there. Because that would be foolish. Who does that? When the coming judgment arrives, it is those who have heard the words of Jesus and put them into practice who have built their house on solid rock who will withstand the judgment to come. And so now is the time for us to reshape our life around him and his words. For the kingdom of heaven has come. Now this explains why the Sermon on the Mount is so significant. It is the good news of the kingdom. We've been studying Matthew a lot since just before Christmas. In chapters 1 and 2, Jesus was declared to be the king. In chapter 3, he was declared to be the son of God. In chapter 4, he's the conqueror of Satan. Matthew now shows us in the Sermon on the Mount that he is the real lawgiver. He reveals the mind of God and directs the life of his people. And so the issue for us is whether or not we will accept Jesus as our king by submitting to his authority and obeying his commands. Now, there are many ways in which this plays out in day-to-day life. It plays out in all the little things, so also it plays out in the big things. We've got a big thing going on at the moment in my family. Because the idea of leaving Currajong has brought this into sharp focus for us. And what does it mean for us right now to be obedient to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount? Because I have to admit, it's worrying to have made a definitive decision to leave without having any clue where we'll be next year. It could be that in six months' time I'm unemployed with nowhere to live. That's concerning and as time goes on, if nothing changes, I'm sure that concern will grow. Now, we could focus all our time and effort on worldly things and storing up for ourselves treasures on earth, becoming more and more anxious about what we will eat, what we will wear, where we will live, where the kids will go to school and all those things that we have to spend time on. Right now, more than ever, we understand that all those things come and go. But deep in our hearts, we know we've made a good and right decision. And that decision is supported by Sean and the elders in the parish council, all of whom I'm very thankful for. And so as we look for a new job and and somewhere to live, we've got to spend time doing those things. The most important thing for us is to keep seeking Jesus' kingdom and his righteousness in prayerful dependence, trusting that God will care and provide for us seeking to grow in obedience to our Lord Jesus, who we want to see honoured and glorified in every community. It's seeking to, to better understand that God knows me better than anybody else. He loves me more than anybody else. It's still hard. Because I need to believe in my heart what I know in my head. And while the distance physically is... 30 or 40 centimetres, it can feel like a couple of kilometres at times. 
Will we head off down the broad road of hearing Jesus but ignoring him? Or will we continue on the narrow road, listening to Jesus and obeying him in every aspect of life? Well, as Jesus finished, the crowd gives voice to the choice he was speaking about. You can see it there in their reaction. Have a look at verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now the path at this point seems crystal clear. Jesus is the one true teacher, but would they listen to him or simply be amazed by him? Now notice that the choice is not, am am I good enough to enter the kingdom? No, I'm not. The choice is not, can I work hard, hard enough to please God? Well, no, I can't. Have I got the strength to do all these things? No. But the choice is about entering the kingdom on Jesus' terms. And ultimately, it's a choice between eternal life and destruction. To those who are on the broad road, Jesus says, are you sure that's where you want to head? Because today I'm offering you eternal life if you are willing to put your trust in me and to believe in me. That I paid the penalty for your sin. And I want you to live with me as your king. To those on the narrow road, Jesus says, are you conscious of the radical nature of the choice you've made? Being a disciple involves radical transformation of our lives. Jesus wants wholehearted devotion, not mediocrity. But he has eternity in store for those who accept the forgiveness he offers. So part of coming to Jesus is recognising his authority. And so may God in his mercy grant that we won't stop at mere amazement, but that we'll make progress as disciples, that we will grow in commitment and obedience to the Lord Jesus, that we would grow as salt and light in the community, that we would grow as people who long for Jesus to be honoured and glorified in every community, that we would grow as people who walk the narrow road of trust and obedience. I ask you this morning, are you listening to Jesus? Are you hearing his words and putting them into practice? We're going to spend some time praying now. And uh, at the beginning, I'm going to allow a a space of time for you to reflect on what you've heard. You might like to glance back over uh, the Sermon on the Mountain, chapters 5 to 7, and, uh, and pray to God about things that you think you need to pray to God about and ask him for help with. And then I'll pray in a moment.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for our Lord Jesus Christ who willingly gave up his life in obedience to you so that we might be saved from our sin. Father, we thank you for the penalty he paid for us on the cross. We thank you that it was sufficient to turn away your anger and to bring reconciliation between us and you that we might know the forgiveness and eternal life that comes through faith in Jesus. Father, we give thanks for these words of Jesus that we've been uh, hearing and studying and praying about over the past couple of months. Father, we pray that your spirit will continue to work in us, bringing about the radical transformation uh, of being a disciple of Jesus. Father, we pray especially for those who are on the broad way that leads to destruction. Father, we pray for your mercy upon them that they might see the foolishness of that, that they might come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and turn to him in repentance and faith. Father, we pray for us that you would help us to keep growing in our obedience and commitment to Jesus as our Lord and King, that we would continue to seek ways to serve him and honour him and bring him glory. And Father, we know that at times, a lot of times, we get that wrong. And so we thank you for your grace and mercy and for the confidence that we have, knowing that Jesus has paid the penalty for that. And Father, when we know we've got it wrong, we pray that we keep coming back to him in in humble repentance. Father, we pray that in all that we say and do, we would bring glory and honour to Jesus. For we ask in his name. Amen.